invite you to join me this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be looking to verses 1 through 10. Last week, Michael preached on the call of the church to do the work of evangelism. And as he did so, I hope you heard maybe a bit of a different view of evangelism, a view of evangelism as, as shepherding, shepherding the hearts of those outside of the body of Christ today. We continue to talk about shepherding. We talk about shepherding those within the body of Christ and the call on all of us within the body of Christ to actually receive that shepherding. This message, this topic has been a burden of my heart of late. Earlier on in the confession of sin, we we look to the passage of Jesus lamenting over the city of Jerusalem, longing to bring the city under his protective care, under the cover of his wings. And yet they refused. Jesus grieved over Jerusalem's refusal. But what about us? Will we come? Or will we refuse? Will we see the beauty and blessing of Jesus' design for the church, for the body of Christ. Friends, as we prepare for this transition into a building, let us be reminded of who and what the church is to be. Let me pray, asking the Lord's blessing as we turn to his word. Father, this is, this is a word that you have for us this day. It is your word. I pray you would speak strongly, firmly, beautifully to us and bless us in Christ. Amen. Dear friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. This passage in 1 Peter, it speaks to the church. What the church is, what it does, what it's meant to produce within us. It is a beautiful description, beautifully communicated. But it rests on a very personal if. If, indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Does that seem like an odd way to you to capture all that takes place in conversion? Does it seem like an odd way to ask if you are in Christ? I think it's awesome. It's awesome because at conversion, what takes place is that we receive this blessing of Holy Spirit wrought regeneration, whereby He removes the heart of stone and gives us the heart of flesh, whereby the Holy Spirit enables a new work of faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. This, this work of, of conversion wrought by the Holy Spirit, applying the work of Jesus to us, is, is both experiential and transforming. And so what better way to describe that work than to ask this question, have you tasted of Jesus? Have you tasted that Jesus was good? Did he taste good? Did he whet your appetite for more? Friends, when I talk about the work of transformation... In conversion, that work of transformation is a work that was begun. Not completed, but begun. That will continue for the rest of our lives until we reach glory. So Peter asks if we've had that first taste. If not, I pray that this passage makes you hungry. I pray that this passage makes you hungry to taste and see that the Lord is good, that the body of Christ is good. But if you have, then this text is is meant to speak to your place in the body of Christ. It's a vivid picture of the body meant for us as individuals and to speak to us collectively. I'm going to unpack this picture first with... What it says about us as a body that, that we are like babies. We all know that babies are cute. Sweet. Here's the other thing about babies. They're needy. <laughs> and they are unashamed to let us know about their needs. They do that by crying it's really quite simple when a baby cries you know that the baby is either hurting or sleepy or messy or lonely or hungry and after some 
time around babies, you learn to distinguish which cry is indicating which need. When you hear that hungry cry, you feed the baby. You give the baby milk. Peter is saying in this text that believers are like needy babies. We are to be hungry and we are to be unashamed about our hunger. So he tells us what we need. He tells us to feed on pure spiritual milk. Now in context, pure spiritual milk is the word of God. Let me offer a couple of points of explanation about that. First, you might be familiar with passage in 1 Corinthians or in in Hebrews that talks about the word as milk. But in those two passages, in 1 Corinthians and in Hebrews, the milk is contrasted with meat as if the the milk is the the basics that, that the baby begins on but then grows beyond to more mature teaching that is the meat. But here in in 1 Peter, it's not that distinction. The milk is simply the nourishment that the Christian needs. It's first. But second, the context here in 1 Peter 2 is, is dealing with the church body. So look, Private study of the Word, personal study of the Word is no doubt important and vital for our growth in the Christian life, but so is our corporate study of the Word. And and I believe in this context, Peter is speaking to that corporate study of the Word and saying that in a special way, the Lord works in us together through the Word, shaping us. Shaping us as individuals and shaping us as a body. So here's the question. How are you being shaped by the Word of God? One of the great joys that we have in the body, one of the great joys that I love sharing with you is is that we, as the body, get to approach the Word of God and let it just Wash over us. I love when we get to be together and process throughout the week what the Lord is is teaching us, showing us through the Word, whether it be the Word preached, whether it be the Word that we are studying together in Sunday school, whether it be the Word that we are sharing through our midweek devotions as we make our way this year, through unfolding grace, when we get to do that, to be together and share the the morsels that the Lord is giving us together in the Word, and we we process that together, it grows us. It grows us in Christ and it grows us together. It's sweet to study the Word of God together, but it is more than sweet. It is vital. It's anointed ordained by God. Friends, the church corporately is shaped by the word that we sit under. So are you being shaped by the word? 
You're a baby. I'm a baby. Let's act like it. <laughs> Let's feed on the pure spiritual milk of the Word. That's the first installment of the vivid pictures that, that Peter gives us in this passage as he unpacks for us what the church body is to be like. But he moves on. Because we're not merely shaped by the word, we're also shaped by worship. And he he points to that by giving us another picture and a different analogy. We're like babies, but we're also like stones. I've shared this, uh, this little anecdote oftentimes in our new member class, but our family moved to Trustful 10 years ago to begin this work of planting a church and my kids were all in elementary school we had a fifth grader a fourth grader a second grader and and I remember uh, Blair was in the fourth grade and it was uh, January and and her elementary school teacher did what all elementary school teachers do at around New Year's Day they she had the students write out their New Year's resolutions so Blair said uh, her New Year's resolution was to help her daddy plant a church one of her little friends said, oh, that's, that, that's great. Let's, let's do a fundraiser so that we can help the church buy the bricks. And Blair, in her childlike wisdom, said, no, it's not about the building. It's about the people. Have you heard that lately? <laughs> it was sweet, and in her childlike wisdom she knew what most of our children know maybe better than us grown-ups that indeed the church is not a building it's about the people but Peter takes that childlike wisdom and builds on it and perhaps tweaks it a bit the church is not the building it's the people but the people actually are like the bricks or maybe like the stones Verse 4, Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the living stone, verse 4, who is chosen and precious. That's where Peter starts there in verse 4, but he builds on it by saying that, remember, if you are in Christ, then you are like the stone, like the stone that is Jesus. And if you are in Christ, you are like a stone and you are being built up with the other stones into a spiritual house. We stones being built into a spiritual house upon the cornerstone, which is, who is? Jesus Christ. Now, like I said, this passage is founded on a very personal if we live in a culture that doesn't like to divide though I guess ironically we do a great job of dividing we want to at least have the illusion of being all inclusive but you see the bible is does not present universalist doctrine This passage and the Bible itself actually does divide. Some are in Christ and some are not. Not all are saved from the wrath 
to come, but all do have the same hope that is Jesus Christ. I offer that not in any way to judge. If you are here and you are not in Christ, if you would not claim Christ as Savior, then, then, then we are thankful that you are here. And, and I want to offer you the truth. The truth is that if you are in Christ, Jesus is your cornerstone. And that we fit together into one assemblage, supported by and centered on Jesus Christ. But if you are not in Christ, He is still the living stone. But He is a stone of stumbling, stumbling, and a rock of offense. Either way, in Christ, not in Christ, He is the stone. This text divides the lines. But it does so for the purpose of drawing to Him. So what purpose does this spiritual house, this assemblage of stones, what purpose is it meant to serve? Well, it is to be the place, if you will, where the holy priesthood, that is all believers, are meant to offer spiritual sacrifices. In context, I believe that this spiritual sacrifice that the body of Christ is meant to offer is our corporate worship. It's our worship within the body of Christ. It's not just the Word that shapes us. It is also the corporate worship that we participate in. It's not just the Word that is anointed and ordained by Jesus, but also our corporate worship. It is ordained by Jesus for His bride to be a shaping blessing. We all have hearts that are going to worship. What will we worship? And in what manner will we worship? Friends, that which we worship, in the manner in which we worship, it will shape us. The way that we engage in worship, the way that we participate in worship, will shape us. And so are you allowing your heart to be shaped by word-driven, God-exalting, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered worship. What is God's design for the church corporately? It is how we are shaped as we continue to be formed into a spiritual house. That spiritual house, that, that togetherness of the stones... <laughs> keeps pointing to something. But verse 9 stops pointing and explicitly calls it what it is. We are like babies. We are like stones. But we are people. We are a people. Put verses 9 and 10 before you once again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter, 
in writing his epistle, is echoing Hosea. Hosea, an Old Testament prophet, who was called by God to speak the word and to act the word out. As God would send Hosea to go and to redeem his adulterous bride and to love her as an acted out picture of what Jesus Christ does to redeem his adulterous bride and to love her. And in doing so, Hosea, and now echoed in Peter, captures what God says is that in that act of redemption and love, he renames the bride as my people. He names us his people. We are, as the bride of Christ, a people called by Christ and marked by grace. We're going to apply that to our collective lives together, but first let me emphasize the truth of that for us as individuals, that if you are in Christ, you are marked by grace. If you are in Christ, it is not your own doing, but a gift of grace so that no one may boast that God, by His own sovereign purposes, not because of any good work in you, chose from before the beginning of time to love you and to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It is that, it's that beautiful, regenerating work of new birth that we've already described. Whereby He initiates a work of transformation. That is the, the individual truth of grace that began in our conversion, but also know this. It's not complete. It's not complete and won't be complete until we offer corporate worship before the Lord God around His throne in glory. And that is vital for us to remember because some of us here, I hope and pray all of us here, are still struggling with the reality of indwelling sin. And for some of us, that burden is is threatening to take us out. But I want to encourage you. If you're struggling with sin, the the struggle is evidence that that the Lord has begun a good work in you, a good work that He will see to completion in the day of Christ. You're called by Jesus to a body which shares the struggle and shares His grace. So therefore, engage in the body. That's how we transition from the the personal impact of His grace to the collective impact of His grace. So what does it mean that we are a people? It means that we're chosen by grace to receive mercy together. That we're gathered together into a collective. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. It's true for introverts, it's true for extroverts. We are meant for the body. But for what purposes? Well, to be shaped by the Word of God 
together, to be shaped by worship together, and to be shaped in fellowship with one another. It's a call for each and every one of us to shepherd one another. Friends, this fellowship, this mutual shepherding, it does not happen through a TV screen. It doesn't. It does not happen when we refuse to make the body of Christ a priority, the priority in our lives. It doesn't. When we refuse to make the body of Christ the priority in our lives, we, we miss the blessing of God and the tangible outworking of His grace in one another's lives. Friends, the church is the gracious, loving wisdom of God for us so that through her, the bride of Christ, we might open our lives to one another, that we might give ourselves over to one another through mutual shepherding so that In our lives together, we might know and love Jesus more experientially. Now, if that is the truth of God, why is it that we forsake the body? I offer a couple of reasons. (laughs) Some of us haven't tasted Jesus. Some of us haven't tasted what it means to be a people. My stepfather talks about what it was like to grow up largely in poverty in, um, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His father died when he was two weeks old. And, and he talks about <clears throat> that, that experience of, of growing up with a mother who was doing her best to raise six kids. And, and so my stepdad talks about he never really understood the fixation that certain people had with steak. One of those rare occasions when his mother would bring steak home and prepare it, she cooked it to a leathery state. <laughs> and so he just didn't understand why people liked it until he grew up and got off on his own and went out with some friends to eat and they ordered steak and they ordered it as God intended for steak to be eaten. Medium. <laughs> he took a bite and all of a sudden, He tasted what he had missed all along. Previously, he had no appetite for steak, but now that he had eaten it as it was meant to be prepared, he couldn't get enough. For some of us, that's the case with the church. Some of us have been burned by the church. Some of us have seen in the church where shepherding has been replaced with malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, as verse 1 would describe it. And having tasted that version of body life, we've run away. Some of us have forsaken the body of Christ because we've never tasted its goodness. And so we must be the true church for those who've never tasted it. We must allow them to taste 
the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must taste it ourselves. Some of us, on the other hand, have forsaken the church because we've simply chosen to be satisfied with less. Another illustration of food. <laughs> I was reminded last week of my 40th birthday. Last week was not my 40th birthday. It was unfortunately many years ago. But I share a birthday, date, and year with my sister-in-law. And so when the two of us turned 40 on the same day, my in-laws decided that they wanted to take the entire family out for one of those fancy dinners, one of those multi-course dinners where you dress up, where the, the waiter comes and actually puts the napkin in your lap. Uh, and when I say the entire family, I'm talking about the grandchildren as well. And the grandchildren at that time were much younger than they are now. Well, you might have a sense of where this is going. The meal was wonderful, but the kids were not impressed. They just wanted chicken fingers. <laughs> Again, many of us don't want the true church because we've settled for chicken fingers and peanut butter. We don't want rich teaching. We don't want worship. We don't want relationship that invests in the lives of one another because we simply want to be left alone. We want to keep things simple because we know somewhere deep down that if we get that word, worship, and fellowship, it just might change me. And we've settled. We've settled for less. Do either of these resonate with you? Jesus has more for you. And it is found in deep, rich connection to his body. Do either of these fuel self-righteous indignation within you towards those who have forsaken the body? Repent of it. And be the body. Remember, this is a body called by Jesus and chosen by grace to receive mercy, so extend it to others. That we might truly be the body of Christ together. This is our calling, not merely to taste Christ, but to feast on Him. So that as verse 2 puts it, that we might grow up into salvation. Friends, this has been the burden of my heart. It's been the burden of Jesus' heart. And all of this was illustrated to me in two conversations that I had this week over the course of two consecutive days. In the first conversation, a friend outside of the church body called me struggling. Struggling in, in her marriage. Struggling over issues in her marriage with her husband seeking wisdom. 
on what to do, seeking pastoral wisdom. Let's talk through the issues of the marriage. And my friend, I think, wanted a quick fix. She wanted a quick solution on how to fix her husband. And I asked a couple of questions. I asked if, if they, either one individually or collectively, had had deep friendships. Did her husband have male friendships where friends would speak truth into his life and he just had good time buddies? I asked if they had connected themselves to a local body, not merely going to church, but had they connected themselves to a local body? And my friend said no. In effect, they were trying to make it on their own there's not a quick fix it's simply God's wisdom it broke my heart with sadness as I heard that conversation someone longing for the body and not knowing it that was the first conversation the next conversation happened the next morning is a dear brother within the body of Christ texted me. He'd come under the conviction of sin arising from the Word of God that we collectively come under the sweetness of our shared time in the Word. Sometimes it's a sweetness that pours itself out in the form of conviction. Am I dear brother my dear friend in Christ came under that conviction and he came in fellowship asking for prayer (laughs) I took him back to the word and I also asked him to pray for me because I was struggling with a deep sadness much of it arising from the conversation the previous day friend was asking for prayer as he came under conviction I prayed for him and asked him for prayer it was the body of Christ beautifully coming together and the contrast between these two conversations were striking friends in both situations there were sin struggles there are sin struggles within the body of Christ but within the body of Christ We have God's ordained means of grace. The church is not a perfect gathering of people. but It is a gathering of imperfect people following God's perfect plan so that together we might grow up into salvation. Avail yourself of this blessing. Friends, Jesus bids us come. Jesus bids us to call, give ourselves over to Christ-ordained, grace-centered word, worship, and fellowship together. Corporate body of Christ is the wisdom of God. Let us engage in it. Father, this is your word for your people together. Bless us through it together. In Christ's name. Amen.